right eye dominant. 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 This is the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. I am your host, Nick Toro Jr. And for today's episode, I thought about several different titles. One would be Focuses for Fools, maybe Sharpness is for Suckers, but instead I'll just call it Blur, or as the French call it, Flu, something I did not know until I had this conversation with my guest for today's episode. Her name is Pauline Martin. She's a curator at the Photo Ilese in Lausanne, Switzerland. And I spoke with her because they have a great exhibit that's about to open. And it is in English, titled Blur. In French, titled Flu. And as we get into this discussion, you'll see that flu is a better term to be using for the subject matter of this exhibit and the focus of this conversation. Blur is, in English, a, a very specific uh, description, whereas flu encompasses blurriness, softness, out of focus, motion blur, haze, time passing. And that's the launching point for this conversation. Uh, I find it really fascinating because in my own artwork, I embrace imperfections of all kinds and I uh, definitely use soft focus or blur as a component of my work. So it was really validating to have this conversation with Pauline, uh, not only because uh, there's a long history of flu in photography, going back to its first early days, but also that there's intention and reasons why one would use flu in their work. So we talk all about it. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my chat with Pauline Martin. Tout sur le flu. Thank you, Google Translate. All about flu. So welcome to the Right Eye Dominant Podcast, Pauline Martin. Thank you very much. Um, can, for my listeners, can you just give a little bit of background information on who you are, uh, your experience in photography, where you work, and why we're having this conversation today? Yes, so I'm working in Lausanne in Switzerland uh, in a museum of photography, which is called Photo Elysee. I'm a curator uh, here in this museum, and uh, I have worked, uh, well, almost, I have been working for... 10 years here, and I'm responsible for the exhibitions uh, here at uh, Photo Elysee. I asked you to join me on uh, the show today because you have a really interesting exhibit coming up. So in English, it's it's blur. The word is blur. Uh, is that the working title of the exhibit? Uh, yes. So the, in French, the, the title of the exhibition is flu, 
une histoire photographique, so actually it's blur, a historic photography, uh, photographic history. So, but uh, the translation of flu in English is blur, but can also be out of focus. So oh, in great. English, in English, yeah. you have different words uh, to express what we say in one word in French, which is flu. I'm I'm glad you just clarified that because that was actually something that I was thinking about as a, a topic of discussion, and maybe we could just jump into it. So um, one of my notes is, and in English, I wrote blur, motion versus out of focus, but it sounds like the exhibit uh, covers that whole range. Exactly, exactly. And, and really because in French, flu um, is used to, to, to describe uh, the blur that is created by motion uh, in photography, but also uh, out of focus, so something that is not in focus uh, in photography. So um, we have all these different kind of blurs in the exhibition. The, the aim is to to tell the story of the history of blur uh, throughout the history of photography from the 19th century to the to now until until now contemporary photography so yes we cover a very large rank of blurs uh, in in this exhibition great so let's jump into that uh, because i i would assume that blur and out of focus imagery throughout the history of photography, oftentimes is, is maybe it's not intentional. Maybe it's dependent on, certainly at the origins of the, the, the medium, where either lens quality or film speed or just the, the length of exposure probably lent itself to unsharp imagery. Um, mm -hmm. Would you say that that's an accurate sort of uh, sort of a launching point for this, the, the, the exhibit or the subject matter? Yes, actually, what is very interesting in, 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 the, in the notion of blur is that it's uh, at the same time a mistake, what you are describing, something that is wrong in photography, something that is or, or made by mistake or by chance. Uh, but, it, but it is also uh, something that is very, that is, um, the expression of a very high quality of artistic uh, photography, uh, because um, you know, from from the beginning of the 19th century, when photographers began to 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 try to prove that photography was an art, they tried to do it uh, with blur by blurring their their images, and so they wanted to prove that photography was an art with blur through blur, blur, actually. So it is at the same time a mistake, but also a very high quality work of art. So uh, this tension is very interesting in the notion of blur. And well, I'm trying to, in this exhibition, to, to explain how um, blur is um, considered very differently according to the period of time uh, when the the work is made, but also depending on who is making it, who makes it, um, or um, for what purpose, if it's commercial photography, if it's uh, artistic photography, if it's uh, reportage photography, uh, blur is interpreted very differently and also differently uh, throughout history. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so 
Um, and I do want to talk maybe a little bit about those, how blur or soft focus out of focus is, is, uh, interpreted in all those different sort of uh, venues of photography. But to get back to that comment you made about photography being taken seriously as an art form early on in its history and the, the intentional use of blur or, or I wouldn't say the intentional use of it, but at least an embracing of it um, as a integral part of, of, of the medium as I know through photo history, the sort of that pursuit of being taken seriously as an art form has direct relations with painting. So uh, blur or soft focus in photography, w would you say that that was a, a, a sort of a direct alignment with trying to appear painterly? Well, of course, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the beginning, the, the photographers wanted to to, to blur their, their images in order to imitate painting, uh, absolutely. So, of course, painting was the reference. Uh, and in order to be recognized as an art, uh, photography had to prove that uh, photographers had to prove that they could do um, as good as painters. And so um, what is very interesting is that blur, but more specifically in French flou, uh, which is a very particular uh, thing um, in, in French. Flou uh, was a very specific um, element in, in the history of painting from the 17th century. Mm. And so paint, uh, photographers have uh, inherited of this, uh, this uh, flou, uh, painted flou. They wanted to, to do the same. So I'm trying also in this exhibition to explain how photographers uh, try to, to do uh, with this uh, very specific uh, blur, actually, paint, painted blur, painted flou. Well, I'm going to stop saying blur slash out of focus slash soft focus, and I'll just say flu because that, the way you're describing it, it's more, it feels more all encompassing. And the fact that this was sort of a, an existing term that was utilized in, in painting before photography was even invented. I think that's interesting because, you know, coming into this conversation, and as I said earlier, I, I was thinking about the presence of flu in photography almost as, like you earlier said, a mistake or embracing of a mistake or celebrating the mistake. But in essence, it really, you could just as well say it's not a mistake because the visual vocabulary that was established by painting was already referencing that. And I also find it interesting that, and I know, again, through photographic history and the timelines, when photographic representational image making started to take off, it freed up the painters to push away from reality even more. And then there's impressionism. And so obviously, if we're talking about like an embracing of flu or a, almost like a next level of it, where it's, it's the departure point, really, then for all sorts of exploration in, in, in the other visual arts, I, I, I think. Does, is there a logic to that, do you think? Um, well, um, yes, I think, um, what, um, how to say that? Uh, the flu, if, if we speak of flu and not blur or out of focus, uh, is a very important uh, category uh, in the arts. Uh, in painting, it was something, and what is very interesting in painting, 
It's that uh, flu was meant not to to hide the image or to to, to not to be an obstacle, uh, not to be not to be uh, something that that makes you. Um, oh no, no, sorry. Barrier, uh, maybe a barrier, or you said yeah, obstacle. Exactly, uh, exactly. exactly. Yeah. In painting, it was the contrary. I mean, the technique of flu was something uh, that was here to help. The, the painter to, to show better uh, the, the scenery or the, the objects he wanted to paint. So it was the, quite the contrary that it, what it became in photography. And then uh, photography uh, used the blur out of focus, flu, and um, it became something that, uh, that is a barrier to, to, the, to the real world or to the real scene that is shown in the image. Um, and so then, um, well, photographers had to, to struggle with this because they wanted to make a flu that was a, pain, a painterly, a pictural flu, mm -hmm. but not a photographic flu. And it was very difficult for, for them to, to be able to do, well, to defend the fact that they wanted to have their image to have blur in the image because uh, it was not something that was uh, at the beginning photographers wanted to have something as sharp as possible so it was very strange to to claim for blur uh, in in photography and i and i think that what's interesting about that that comment is that i think it's the sort of the dilemma it's it's a dilemma of photography i think from its origins even to today where there's this uh, because it's a mechanical optical scientifically based process in a lot of ways or medium that one could argue that there's an expectation of well if it's not sharp enough we need better lenses or we need higher sensitivity film or digital sensors or that just intrinsically if i'm taking a photograph there's this expectation that it's a an accurate representation of the world or what's in front of the camera and so if anything strays from that there rises the the, the dilemma i guess of saying we have the ability to or we we're striving for this perfect sharp well exposed balanced image mm. yeah but but also uh, in the 19th century uh, many many people uh, well at least some uh, photographer thought that uh, the photographic lens pr produced an image that was too sharp and <laughs> very sharper than what the human eye can see. And so they wanted to bring some blur in order to be closer to, to the visual, uh, to the vision, to the, well, the biological vision. So in a way, uh, photography was sharp and people thought that it was the truth, this sharpness. But some other people thought that it was not so true because the eye can is not able to see as sharp as photography, mm -hmm. uh, and so they wanted to to add to have some blur in order to be to be uh, more realistic. Actually, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm thinking about certainly back in the the 19th century. Let's talk about Edward Mybridge and his motion studies where the intention was to use the photographic process to show, you know, like if a horse runs by you, 
your eyes are not going to see what he showed via the camera and the the sharpness of the lens. Yet, I think that, and maybe this is a, a sort of a segue into connections because I know in your notes there was mention of cinema versus or the connection of st- cinema and still photography. So I'm thinking about my bridge because the intention was to show the the steps frozen in time, something that the eye couldn't see, maybe yeah. not, you know, but, and, and sort of that being a precursor to what then became moving pictures or cinema. Yet what you're saying is that there was also this intention it's almost like the aesthetic of the the flu, not just an artistic decision, but like you mentioned, it's like your eye, the way your eye sees or that you shift focus when you're looking around a room. It could be an argument then in defense of flu, I guess, is, and that's, I, it sounds like that's what you're referring to. Yes, yes, it has been an argument. It was an argument for the painters because they thought that uh, it was necessary to have only one uh, focus in order not to disperse the, the attention of the viewer everywhere on the canvas, mm-hmm. uh, on, on the painting. And uh, it was also an argument for the photographers because, well, you can make the experience look look some, look somewhere, look, look at something. And if you are very attentive, you will see that there is very, very, a very small part that you can see very sharp. Uh, blur is everywhere in your vision. Uh, and so um, painters and then photographers thought that, uh, well, in the 19th century, the idea was to imitate uh, the nature and the way you see the nature. So they wanted to imitate this uh, vision. Uh, so it was a real argument, very important, uh, very important in the 19th century. But then it changed during the 20th century. And so let's talk about that change. And I er, er, mentioned just a, a bit ago of the presence of cinema. Once we got to the point where we could re- reproduce moving images, did that alter the perception or reception of, of flu in still images? What's the connection there? Yeah, well, when cinema was invented, flu, blur was a mistake, just as in photography. I mean, the director, cinema directors wanted to, to have uh, films as sharp as possible to, in order to avoid a very basic mistake. But uh, also, um, there are two things. First, that since since it is um, um, uh, an art that is in motion, people began to see reality very differently. Uh, and uh, the fact that uh, that there are moving images, the consequence was that um, blur was more acceptable because it became to be something uh, that people were used to see in the films. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. The other thing is that uh, blur uh, in cinema during the um, 20s uh, began to have a new function which is a narrative function Mm -hmm. because directors uh, began to use uh, blur in order to express the emotion uh, of a a character or to express the memory or the death 
or something, you know, so in order to tell a story. And that's something that cannot exist in photography, neither in painting. And um, in, 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 in the films, uh, blur, flu, softness actually also began to, to have a, a real new function. What you just uh, said regarding in cinema creating, an, uh, it had a narrative function. It's almost like a visual dialogue now that's being created via cinema. And that idea of a, a narrative function could migrate its way back into still photography or maybe even reinforce sort of visual tropes that were already being utilized. But to me, uh, if I see a still photograph, the, the educated eye or maybe even an uneducated eye may be able to discern when motion in a still photograph is intentional versus unintentional. But it seems to me that this whole idea of introducing a narrative function via a cinematic approach into a still photograph, when I'm making the choice to either, even if it's a simple depth of field uh, decision, right? So one object's in focus and I'm going to intentionally let everything else fall out or i'm going to use a long exposure to convey a sense of time passing you know or light trails or whatever it is but it seems to me that in essence those are my own narrative functions that i'm one could introduce into their still photography do you see that maybe before cinema it wasn't recognized that the photographs could use those techniques to push a narrative? What I can say is that uh, the, the, the blur that is, that is created uh, with, the, with the object in motion, moving, moving objects or moving camera, was not acceptable at all uh, until the 19th century. Uh, there are few exceptions, but the, the, the fact of, of showing uh, the time in photography uh, with blur was something uh, that became to be really um, in, important in the, in the 20th century only. Okay. So before that, uh, some photographers claimed some, some blur to show, to, to show the, for example, to show a train that is moving because if you, if you photograph a train that is in motion, but you, you photograph the train so sharp that you can't see uh, the movements and then you lose the reality of the movement of the train. So mm -hmm. some photographers ask for blur uh, in, in that specific case. But then in the 20th century, uh, blur uh, became very important in order, especially in the press, in order to express what's happening uh, in, in the, well, in the newspaper, it was very, very, very important. And here it's a real, it's a real uh, narrative function, of course. I think in the 20th century, it seems like there's a convergence between whether it's artistic intent or as you just described, to show, like I'm making a decision to show the motion, to convey passage of time. We're also looking at the advances in photographic technology with smaller cameras, faster shutter speed, always improving optics, small cameras that you can carry around with you and get into situations where it's almost as if there was the convergence 
of technological freedom, artistic exploration or acceptance of including flew into still images. Is there also the psychology of showing motion? You're using a medium that in many ways stops time, yet you're allowing for the passage of time in the imagery. Seems to be there may be some uh, psychological uh, motives at play there. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Um, maybe uh, what 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 I know is that blur uh, was also, uh, but later during the fifties, it became to to be used in order to express psychological feelings or uh, something that is very intimate to the photographer. But it's something very different that it became to be a subjective tool in order to express something of your intimacy or of your feelings or so blur has very different uh, different functions and uh, of course it changes uh, over time but I wanted also to say something because you say um, we, we we cannot always say if the blur was intention intentionally done or not right and that's something very important because uh, actually you are right we cannot Oh, we, we, sometimes we cannot be sure if it's if it's wanted or not, and so um, it was also a very important thing during the history of photography for professional photographers, but also for artists to be able to make uh, to to produce a blur that was not confused with the mistake or not wanted blur and so blur is a is a is a way of a, a distinction of, of class according depending on what blur you produce uh, you are somebody that cannot or that is really uh, uh, not good at photography or very good at photography so it makes this distinction and that's very interesting uh, to 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 observe this this thing Absolutely. And, and so um, I'm going to interpret your response as, as a validation of my, uh, my armchair uh, psychoanalysis of, of, <laughs> of the motives of artists. But you just mentioned something else that I found, like I've, I, I know is uh, there's the famous quote by Henri Cartier-Bresson, uh, sharpness is a bourgeois concept. And uh, I don't know if something gets lost in the translation there, but delineating blur or flu as intentional versus unintentional. You mentioned that it was like a class, there was some kind of uh, class uh, delineation uh, attached to that, which to me, that Bresson quote uh, immediately jumped into my head because is there some sort of elitist uh, dogma attached to sharpness versus flu? Uh, it was uh, it was a very very important debate sharpness versus flu during whole history of photography until well from the from the nineteenth century until the fifties um, in the twentieth century it was a very very important debate some people thought sharpness was more important other that flu was more important. But uh, what we can say is that, for example, um, but, but there are also photographers who didn't really care. And for example, Cartier-Bresson, he was not on one side or on another side. 
for him, um, flu was acceptable as long as the photograph had been made uh, very sharply. So what I what I what I what I want to say is that he wanted that the intention to be sharp, but the the image could be could be flu actually. Yeah. Uh, and for him, it was the composition that was more important, and not to 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 say okay, sharpness is better, flu is better. That was not important for him. I mean, if you look at uh, numerous photos of his. Where I, I'm thinking of like the staircase with the cyclist going by, uh, there's there's motion in that, or the man jumping across the puddle. To your point, he, those are very structured, intentional compositions. But within them, I'm going to say it was intentional. But I can't imagine the, those photographs would be very different if everything was tack sharp and he stopped time so clearly. Um, and but the majority of the image, there is sharpness, or a you know a, a, a pretty large degree of sharpness structurally, and then allowing for like one or two moments of movement is what I think makes those photographs as as powerful and memorable as they are. Yeah, exactly. Let's get back into what you were saying regarding so the nineteen fifties, the blur now or flu being an aesthetic decision or maybe a rejection of the clarity of the norms, expectations. Today, 21st century, the technology advances now, the high sensitivity of digital sensors, optics, or I mean, the, the things that we have at our disposal now compared to what photographers just throughout history had been able to use. The achievement of clarity and sharpness is even more, I wouldn't say it's easy, it's easier. It's certainly prevalent, but with that, and, and, and I'm saying this because personally, my own, my own photography, I embrace blur. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation because I feel like I'm vindicated in some ways, but <laughs> Today, with technology and everything we have at our disposal, what does it say when there is flu in an image? How do you see it? Well, now, now uh, flu has become a real tool for photographers, and it's it's much more acceptable. I mean, most of the people understand that a flu, flu can be used in order to express something in photography, and that is not it is not uh, always a mistake. With digital photography, uh, it has changed a lot because, as you said, you can make a very sharp image really easily. But uh, on the other side, you can also make uh, blur and flu very easily mm -hmm. because you have filters mm -hmm. uh, that you can use and everybody is able to add some flu in his uh, selfies, uh, images, uh, every, well, all the images you post on the internet with very high quality of, of, of flu. And so it's not, uh, well, it was before uh, a proof of expertise to be able to make a, a very high quality flu. Now it's not. I mean, everybody, but it's the same as photography in general. Everybody can do photography and it has become, become very much more uh, difficult for photographers to, to find their place. And uh, of course, it has changed. The context has changed a lot. Um, I think now um, 
blur, out of focus, uh, flu are used by, by artists in order to express very, very different things. Uh, and there is a very wide range of, of, uh, of expression through uh, the flu. I could have made an exhibition only on contemporary photography because there, there is so there are so many things to, to say about it. But of course, it's in this exhibition. It's going to be on only a small part because uh, well, we can't show everything. But um, yeah, today today it's, it's I cannot say that it's um, a style. It's not a, you know you can't you can't speak of blur photography as a as a as a category, uh, but there are many different ways of using blur and have uh, artistic expression uh, today. Yeah. I actually think that might be a nice way to uh, end the conversation. Can you just share the details of the exhibit? So uh, if my listeners in Europe might be able to, to yeah. go and, and visit. Sure. So the exhibition uh, will open on the 3rd of March and uh, it will last until the 21st of May 2023. It's happening in Lausanne at Photo Elysée, uh, just next to the train station. So it's very easy to access the exhibition. It's open every day except on Tuesdays. Great. Well, uh, Pauline Martin, thank you so much for joining me Uh I've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I wish I could come see the, the exhibit in person. Uh, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you. Thank you very much. So there you go, folks. My conversation with Pauline Martin, curator at the Photo Elysee Museum in Lausanne, Switzerland. I hope you enjoyed this exploration of the concept of flu, or as us Americans know it, blur. I learned quite a bit from this discussion. I hope you did as well. I will share plenty of links in the show notes with lots of examples of photographs from the exhibit and also links where you could find out more about Photo Ilese. I look forward to visiting that museum in person someday in the future myself. So if you have any thoughts or questions about this episode or any others, I encourage you to go to righteyedominantpodcast.com where you'll find down at the bottom an area where you can send me questions or comments. You will also find all the other episodes that I have produced well into season two now. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening. I really appreciate the fact that you take time every couple of weeks to listen to my podcast. It means a lot. I'll also ask, as I always do, if you could leave a review or a star rating on your platform of choice that will help me get this show in front of even more people. So that's it for today. This has been the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. I've been your host, Nick Toro Jr., and until next time, stay well. This podcast has been a production of RightEyeDominant.art. The music for this episode has been brought to you by The Conant Project, Yazar, and The White Plains.